Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Miller. The mission of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics is to expand consciousness, stimulate thought, enhance your mental and physical health, and encourage community. There's a movement going on in the United States, as you all know, called the Occupy Movement. Some refer to it as the 1%, 99% movement, or just the 1% movement. We are in a situation in this country which is uh, putting us in a line with the South American countries and many other countries in the world where 1% of the population control an inordinate percentage of the assets of the entire country. Our country, the United States, has moved from a position whereby the 1% controlled, owned 22% of the assets of the country, and in the last 25 years, they've moved to now controlling over 40% of the assets of the country. What this does, of course, is it squeezes down the middle class, it makes the poor poorer, and puts us in line with being what is referred to as a third world country. Why am I talking about that on a program called Mind, Body, Health and Politics? Well, here's the reason. What are the main causes of illness and premature death? Are they cancer, smoking, obesity? One of the overlooked causes of premature death and illness is lack of money. More precisely, poor and or having less than a high school education, what we psychologists and sociologists call socioeconomic status, is a health hazard, especially when it comes to heart health. Recently, a study in the Cardiovascular Disorders Journal analyzed data from 12,000 people and found that people who have a low SES, socioeconomic status had a 53% chance of a greater risk of developing heart disease over a 10-year period. Yes, 53%. And what's interesting about this is that when they controlled, when they improved the risk factors, quitting smoking, lowering blood pressure, these folks still had a over 50% higher risk than comparable well-off people. Yes, socioeconomic status affects longevity. Actually, by over four, around five years, people with lower socioeconomic status live five years less. What can be done about this? Well, in addition to such movements as the Occupy movement, the 1% movement, and all the others that are attempting to move towards leveling the playing field, the economic playing field, programs like this, health programs and other health programs that you hear on national public radio are ways of giving, quote, free information to those who might not be able to afford the information, as well as to, of the others 
who are listening in, who could afford it, but are listening in to get the information directly uh, on the radio. Going back to 1727, Benjamin Franklin had the same interest, an interest in putting forth, in gathering information and putting forth information to the public. In 1727, Benjamin Franklin formed something called a junto, J-U-N-T-O. It means a gathering. You can read about it if you wish to in the autobiography of Benjamin Franklin, written later on in his life, 1771 to 1788. The junto was a group for mutual improvement of the person, the persons in the junto and for the community at large. These people got together with Ben Franklin on Friday evenings for over 40 years. And many, many good things came out of it, including the fire department, the postal service, and actually the University of Pennsylvania. There were 12 people in Benjamin Franklin's junto, and they kept it at 12. And at one point, when other people attempted to join, what they said was, go out and form your own juntos. And as a way of spreading the juntos, each person in the original junto, each of the 12, was told, go out and start another junto, so there would be 12 additional juntos. These juntos proliferated. Now, over 200 years later, there are juntos around the world. There's one in New York, there's one in London, and there's one here in Fort Bragg, California, right near where we broadcast from. The juntos talk about what's going on in the community, how they can help themselves, and how they can help the community. I was sitting in a junto meeting a few weeks ago when one of the members reminded me that several years ago I had on this very program said the following. How do you rank yourself on a scale of one to ten with regard to your physical health? And how do you rank yourself on a scale of one to ten with regard to your psychological health? And one of the things I said at the time as well was take some time from time to time and go into the privacy of your bathroom where hopefully there's a mirror and strip off all of your clothing and stand before your mirror in the privacy of your bathroom and look at yourself. Not an easy thing to do, could be a very difficult thing to do, but give yourself what you might call a self-examination not so much from the point of view of judgment or vanity, which we all have, of course, but from the point of view of your own health, of how you look to yourself. How does your skin look? How does the expression on your face look if you were looking at this person from some distance? Is this the expression of a happy person? Is this the expression of a sad person? of a depressed person? Is this the expression of a person in pain? And as you read these expressions, you might take notes. 
These might be things that you want to consider in your life. For who best to know you but you? Who best to know the inner workings of your mind and how you feel? Who could be more of an expert on your emotional state than you? We don't have an MRI to read emotions. We don't have x-rays to meet emotions. We don't have machinery that can tell us how we're feeling. We have to tell ourselves. We have to inform ourselves. So back then, I asked or suggested that you do this self-examination. And I'm reminding you to do this once again, from time to time. Look and see what you can read of your emotional state, but also look to see what you can read of your physical state. What is your body telling you when you look at it? And what kind of changes might you be able to make, might you be willing to make, might you want to make? The very fact that you're listening to a program on mind, body, health, and politics means you're interested in your own health. You're interested in thinking about your health. But thinking about your health, it takes time, doesn't it? It means sitting down, closing my eyes, and giving myself some thought, giving myself some what's called introspection, looking within. And what else can I do in addition to thinking about my own health? Because it's hard to get perspective sometimes. It's hard to look in the mirror and see what we see. It's much easier to look at other people. Much easier. Looking at ourselves, it requires, it requires taking time. It requires quieting down. It requires cutting out all of the things that are in the world that are all saying to us at all times, look at me, look at me. How many of you have had, for example, the experience of walking into a room where people are talking and someone turns on a television set and you notice that all of a sudden everybody is watching the television set and they're not talking to each other anymore? I spent a few moments recently at a friend's home, he invited me over for one of these major football games. I say one of these major football games because I don't follow football. I wanted to go over and pay my respects. And there were at least 12, 14 people in the room, all interesting people, all people I would very much like to have talked to. But I really couldn't talk to anyone because had I struck up a conversation with anyone, I would have been interfering with the activity which was watching the football game. So I stayed through the first, what's called, advertisement, commercial. And when the commercial came on, somebody turned off the sound, which gets louder, as many of you know, when a commercial comes on. And I thought, okay, here's the opportunity that we can all converse now for a few minutes. But actually what happened was that the power of the moving screen was so great that everybody kept watching the commercial even though there was no longer sound. I'm using this as an example of one of the many distractions, that's a powerful distraction, one of the many distractions that's around us at all times in this wonderful thing we call life, that we call the world, that is a cornucopia, a smorgasbord of things for us to attend to, 
And they're all wonderful things, or so many of them are, but they at the same time distract us from taking a little time, from time to time, from thinking about ourselves, our own health. What are the messages we're getting from ourselves to ourselves? What are the messages we're getting emotionally and physically? So thinking about health is important. I call step two sharing these thoughts, meeting with friends, meeting sometimes with elders, if you are fortunate enough to have trusted elders, advisors, some people call them, friends, and making the topic of your health, not in the sense of complaining, oh, I got an ache and a pain in my back and my leg hurts. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about sharing what you notice about your own health, mental and physical, mental and physical, with, with close associates. And remember the junto. Maybe you want to form a junto of your own. Maybe you don't have 12 people that you can get together with. Maybe you only have six or four. How about considering getting together with these three or four or five or six or what number you have and saying, hey, what do you think we try that idea that that man on the radio talked about that Ben Franklin started in 1727? What do you think we try this? Maybe we just try it for a few months to see what we think. We get together one night a week or one morning before work and we talk about ourselves. We check in. We go around and we check in and we say, here's what's going on in my life this week. Here's what's going on at work. Here's what's going on in my relationships. Here's what's going on with my children, with my parents. Here's what's going on that's important to me, that's filling my consciousness. A five minutes each check-in. If you want more information on how to conduct the Junto, just go to Google and type in Ben Franklin's Junto, J-U-N-T-O. You'll get all the information you need. So you go around and each one checks in and then maybe you have a theme for the day. Well, so often the theme can be health if you want it to be because you can get together with friends and create a health plan, a way of taking action to do something. I myself find it much easier to go to the gym with a friend, weightlifting to keep my strength up because we all know that Muscle mass decreases over time with age. That's a given. That is not a controversial issue. Muscle mass decreases over time with age. I go to the gym with a friend. We work out together. We talk. It passes the time. It makes the chore, and to me it is a chore, of weightlifting you know, much easier. It makes it almost fun. In fact, sometimes it is fun. Sometimes it's important to look at that which we can control and that which is out of our control, but which possibly can be modified. Our, our genetic inheritance can be more difficult to modify, but psychological factors can be much easier to modify. I don't want to say easy, I want to say easier. Easier, not easy. But the psychological factors which can be modified, perhaps I should say with some difficulty but very doable, are such things as overeating, 
over drinking and drugging, over gambling, over spending, and of course, over smoking. I call those the controllable impulse disorders because they are controllable. What do you all think as you hear this? Is this the kind of thing that's worthwhile doing? You think it's worthwhile sitting once a week, once every two weeks, with our eyes closed and thinking about ourselves, about our health, about our relationships, about our way in the world? Do you think that's worth doing? Or you think this is just some airy-fairy, hocus-pocus stuff that you hear on the radio from one of those psychological people? I'd be interested in hearing what you all have to say about that. We'll be taking calls in a little while. By the way, the telephone number here, if should you want to call a little while, is 707-937-5103. 707-937-5103. On to some news and notes in psychology and medicine. Many of you males have noticed that as you get older, you start to get up in the night to urinate. Sometimes it can be annoying. Sometimes it disrupts your sleep. And many of you have reached out to something called Sol Palmetto, Sol Palmetto, uh, to supposedly shrink the prostate, which pushes on that little tube called the urethra that carries the urine and creates this retention of urine and mm, pressure and saw palmetto. There's no evidence whatsoever that saw palmetto is effective in helping this condition. We have had a lot of research on it. Save you money, folks. Some years ago, I was walking down the street in, uh, in Fort Bragg, California, and I bumped into Frank Hartzell, and he waved, and he said, hey, doc, I want to thank you for what you said about uh, Tylenol and it possibly um, having a negative effect on the liver, he said, because I was taking Tylenol until I heard that. Well, it's now several years later, and it's coming at us from all directions. Yes, it's easy to overdose on Tylenol. It can cause fatal liver damage, and particularly so for people who do what's called staggering the dose. It means not taking and then taking a whole bunch. Not taking and then taking a, a whole bunch. Why is it? Because Tylenol has acetaminophen in it. Acetaminophen. You want to be checking your acetaminophen intake. And um, if you want to check me out on this, you're most welcome to. But the information is coming at us from various various places now, and I, I don't think there's much controversy about it anymore at all. Uh, some of you suffer from migraines, and you take things like um, Topamax and various other uh, medications, and some of you are using uh, relaxation techniques. A recent study indicates that exercise was as effective at reducing the frequency of migraines as either medication or relaxation training. Of course, that's another thing that's coming at us from all directions now, which is the efficacy of exercise. Not a big surprise to you. The question is really how to get the exercise. 
How do you get it if you're not doing it? How do you start it? How do you keep up a program of doing it? How do you find something that's acceptable to you, that works for your lifestyle, that fits within your work schedule? How do you do those things? It's the how-to. It's the how-to that each of us has to deal with. And there are many ways. I talked earlier about getting together with friends. That's a way that does it. I myself didn't start exercising hardly at all till I was past 40. And the way that worked for me was, again, getting together with friends and um, doing something at a specific time of day. Every, that's the only thing that really works for me, is, is doing the exercise at a specific time of day, every single day, so that I, just about, so that I know that at that time of day, that's what I do. So it's not as if I get up and I think to myself, well, am I going to exercise today? And if so, what time am I going to do it? If I do that, forget it. It's not going to happen. I've got to structure it. That's me. I'm not saying that's what's going to work for everybody. Each have to find your own way. But what I am saying is that from sources all around the country and all around the world, the importance of exercise is coming at us, and it's not to be ignored if you have interest in maintaining your health and possibly maintaining your longevity as well. The big deal is maintaining your health because what you don't want to do is become part of this medical system. You want to stay out of it by staying healthy. Greens, greens for your heart, greens for your life. Greens are coming at us from all directions. It's sort of interesting how there's accumulation of bodies of information that are now coming in from many sources after being somewhat controversial. You know, the question, is exercise good for you? Is exercise not good for you? Are green leafy vegetables good, the dark ones, or are they not? And now the information is gathering. And, you know, you, everywhere you read about, uh, everywhere you go, you read about the importance of green leafy vegetables. And so more and more studies are looking at what, how many areas do green uh, leafy vegetables uh, assist, help, or prevent. And, uh, and the information is increasing and increasing. Here's a little note I wanted to pass on to you. Many stores now uh, have blood pressure machines in them. I know Rite Aids uh, have blood pressure machines. Michael, do, do you know, does Safeway have, uh, I don't know if Safeway, it, Safeway does, Michael's saying Safeway does. There's a, there's a, free, uh, a free test. Go in there, go drop into your, to your store and, uh, that has a, a, a blood pressure machine and check your blood pressure once in a while. And you want to have uh, a, a blood pressure of uh, 120 over 80 or less. Systolic is the top reading. You want that to be below 120. And diastolic, you want to be below 80. And if it's not, you want to either do things to bring it down by researching how to bring it down yourself, such as diet and exercise, or you want to be going to your physician and uh, putting your head together with uh, him or her about lowering your blood pressure. 
there's just it's a it's it's sort of simple and it's sort of complicated you know the blood pressure is the measure of the pressure of the fluid going through our little tubes called the cardiovascular system and just like a bicycle tube if you get a little tiny hole in that tube uh, that pressure is going to push the liquid which we call blood out of that hole and that's called a stroke and that's something we don't want to have of course the higher the pressure the more the pressure is able to push through the tiniest of holes and the higher the pressure the more the possibility of creating a pooch or a little tiny blowout in one of the holes so something to be thinking about as well systolic and diastolic blood pressure which you can check right in the right aid or one of the other stores i'm getting a note here am i let's see what this says mm, pulse plush pressure ah the pulse pressure michael's reminding me of the pulse pressure is the differential between your higher number between your higher number uh, the systolic and your lower number the diastolic and and that the difference between the two should be 40 or less if it's more than 40 again that's something to bring to the attention of your health professional let's see we're approaching 9:30. i can start taking calls now on um, issues psychological primarily i specialize in drug addiction and family issues the number here is 707-937-5103 707-937-5103 how about exclamations when we get hurt, like loud sounds, does that help? It seems like it takes off the pressure, doesn't it? Here's a group that studied whether cursing relieves pain, and they found that it does. I wonder why. Screaming out some expletive relieves the pain i wonder if that relieves the pain more than just growling i don't think they they um, they didn't test that they tested whether uttering a swear word versus uttering a neutral word had a more of an effect on um on relief of pain and they found that the swear words sure enough is there some satisfaction in yelling out at what we call an expletive a, a dirty a dirty word one of those words that I can't say on this program for fear of getting fined off the air. What an interesting thing, isn't it, that we have sounds that we make that we call words for communicating information, and we've decided that some of these sounds are, quote, dirty sounds, and so we can't say those dirty sounds in certain situations, but we can say other kinds of sounds which are acceptable. What about um, multivitamins? Oh, I'm getting a signal here. Okay, yes, certainly, Michael. Let's take the call. Welcome to my whoops. We're getting um, we're getting a person that sounds like a a buzzer. Why are we getting that? Let's try another another button here, Michael. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hello, and thank you. You're um, welcome. I'd like to add something else to your list of things that we overdo. And one of those is think. <laughs> Overthink things. And to the point where, 
for me personally, if I listen to the news, I overthink the negative things that will be happening. And so, I mean, through the years, they've discovered, I mean, millenniums, they've discovered that meditation helps that. So I've begun this program of meditating with my feet on the earth every day. (laughs) So that's been helping me. And also turning off the news, which I call the blues, because it seems like, you know, we have these people whose job it is to scour the earth high and low to find everything that's wrong and then report it over and over in a loop, in a blog, in a, you know, just totally saturate it. And I've noticed, for me personally, whenever I listen to the news, I start crying. (laughs) I'm a very emotional person, too. But um, what an interesting what do you think thing! About that? What do I say? Thank you. That's interesting. Several interesting points you make. One one is about meditating with one feet on the ground, and uh, you know, barefoot. Connect, connecting barefoot with the earth. Of course, meditating itself has health benefits that have been proven scientifically. Uh, what is meditation? It's quieting the mind. It's also a form of observing the mind. Meditation doesn't have to be stopping thinking. Meditation can also be watching thinking, listening to thinking. Listening to thinking is something like listening to the thought process, observing and making notes such as, what am I doing when I'm thinking? I'm having a conversation with myself. Oh, that's interesting. I'm being critical of myself over here. No, look over here. I'm being judgmental of myself. It's a way of observing the thinking process in order to raise our awareness. Because as we find ourselves being critical of self, being judgmental of self, or as we notice ourselves being critical or judgmental of other people, and we raise our awareness about this, we then have the option to do something about it, to stop being critical or to stop being judgmental or to flip the other way and be positive be congratulatory, be celebratory, move on to something that's a lot more fun to be than critical and judgmental, which make us feel bad. Meditation can also be clearing the mind. It can be many things. It's mo- it can be sitting and counting breaths. Meditation can be nothing more than sitting in a comfortable chair with feet, perhaps naked feet, on the ground or on a carpet or just on a piece of wood, And counting breaths, that is meditation also. It's a way of focusing, it's a way of observing, it's a way of clearing, it's a way of being inside with ourselves. It's more things than that as well. What about the news that she mentions? Yes, the news. The news is is sensationalistic. What sells? Controversy sells. Conflict sells. Sensationalism sells. Things that we don't have in our ordinary lives sell on the news. Explosions. We don't necessarily spend our lives in, in our daily lives. How many of you have actually seen a building blow up, unless you've been in the war, of course? How many of you seen a major car accident with three cars smashing, as gruesome as it is? But these are exciting things in a way if you don't have it happen. How many of you ever walked down the street and seen a bank robbery with a, somebody spraying with a machine gun? So things that are like that are so sensational that they sell, they attract our interest, and they make news. 
We had a situation here in, in, in the county of Mendocino where, the, where a, a, a killer killed two people recently. And, and it, was, it not only made news, but because one of the, the people who was killed was a city councilman, Jerry Mello, it made national news. But when was the last time we can, any of us can remember somebody making local or national news for doing a whole bunch of nice things to people, like smiling at 15 people as you walk down the street or waving at people when you stop at a four-way stop sign and saying, you go first, even though it wasn't your turn. Things like that don't make news for the most part. Occasionally, they call it a human interest story. But certainly it doesn't make news of the kind that a great explosion or 23 cars crashing. And so the listener you know, is accurate. Most uh, News is bad news. What do you do about it? You want to both be informed, but you don't want to be deluged with this negative junk, this, this kind of corporate cancer. How do you handle that? How do you both be informed and not be informed at the same time? Sure, let's take the call, Michael. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hi, Dr. Miller. Hi. This is Mystery. How are you this morning? Oh, Mystery, I haven't heard from you in years. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. God, are you taking care of yourself? Well, I'm trying, but I'm one of those migraine people. And I wanted to say I think we need to do a lot more research on that idea about working because I started milking cows at five years old, and by the time I was 13, I had the worst migraines in the whole world. And by then, I was lifting 100 pound bags of grain and, uh, you know, feeding cows and cleaning cows, working very hard, going to school. And I don't think work helps at all. It just makes me sicker. Really? You think taking care of the cows and, and, uh, and milking the cows contributed in some way to your stress and to your, to your no. migraine headaches? No. no. No, no. I was absolutely in love with my farm and my cattle and sheep and... <laughs> I still uh, have gone through a long, many years since then, and work just makes me worse. Work makes you worse. Makes me worse. Let's find out what other people think about that. And, Let- you know, the true migraine is uh, when you're vomiting on one end and having diarrhea out the other end, and I mean, to the point where I have to crawl on my hands and knees just to get to the bathroom. Well, you know? that's very true. If you, any of you who have had a, had a migraine know that mystery is accurate that you can have explosions and you can have uh, your eyesight uh, decrease significantly. It can feel like lightning bolts in the brain. Migraines are very, very, uh, they're terrible. They're very painful. And as you heard me say before, there are medications for it. Uh, uh, Meditation training is helpful for it. My own daughter has suffered from a migraine and she tells me that she has cured her migraine by, quote, cleaning up her diet, completely cured. I'll check in with her after the show. She'll let me know if I'm 100% right. But what is it? She took the impurities out of her diet. That's something worth looking at. Let's take this next call. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hi, what a great show. Oh, thanks. Um, I've listened to you for years, and this is the first time I've called. I've been in Mendocino for 30 years or more in this area all over, and and I go out and I collect black trumpet mushrooms and mushrooms, uh, the edible wild gourmet mushrooms. And, and uh, about, oh, a certain amount of years ago, I started getting these, these uh, they're called classic migraines. I looked it up, and it's where all of a sudden I see this little spot, and then, and then it starts squiggling, and it starts taking a DNA-looking shape, and then it turns into all these Indian colors. And if I don't close my eyes, I, I, I'll take two aspirins, 
I'll be out in the middle of the woods collecting mushrooms, way, and it could be raining, and the migraine will start coming on. I'll, I'll see it, and part of my vision blocks out. And, and what happens is I don't have a headache yet. I just get the, the visual thing, and then I close my eyes for exactly 20 minutes. I'll take two aspirins if I have them, and, and that usually always helps uh, if I have the aspirins. As soon as I feel it coming on, I'll take two aspirins. Even in the woods, I carry a, a, jar, a little jar or bottle or something of water with me and my aspirins and, and uh, in my pack when I'm collecting. And I, and I sit down, and there's bears running around me and mountain lions. I close my eyes. I'm sitting there, and, 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 the, and the visual thing in the blackness of my eyes being closed gets, starts getting larger and larger and larger in, in my peripheral on the side there and just beautiful patterns and colors. And then after 20 minutes, it, after about 20 minutes, it starts fading and just it goes out of my scope and it's gone and I open my eyes and, and the head and the thing's gone and I don't get the headache part afterwards. Some, if I keep my eyes open... In other words, I'm, if you go through this procedure that you just described to us... A hundred times now. You get the visuals without the pain. Yeah, but if I don't take the two aspirins and I don't close my eyes, then I'll get the pain and it'll last for three days. Anytime I bend down, it hurts, or if I cough, or if I... It just hurts right in the middle of my forehead. It sounds like you've got a great procedure there because the visual, oh, the, vi- the vi- not only that does it work so you don't get pain, but the visuals sound like they're fun. Oh, now, they I'm gonna are. Ask- I wish I could draw. I was thinking some of the old Indian patterns and things that you see come from those uh, Indians that could have American Indians or any kind of Indians. Do you have a computer available to you? Yeah. Go on Google and check out the work of uh, the the artwork of Robert Venosa, V E N O S A. And Martina Hoffman, H O F F M A N. They they do paintings of the kind that you may be seeing inside your head during those first twenty minutes. But I want to ask you another question: Do you actually? You said you see bears and, and no, no. I could pretend like they're oh, okay. I was wondering because when you started talking, yeah, when you started talking about seeing all those animals, I was starting to think maybe you're eating some of those mushrooms and they're no, sl- no, no. I don't find those kinds. You're not finding psilocybin mushrooms. Oh no, the edible wilds. But I would. I I found the psilocybins before. I bet. Aren't you finding Amanita muscaria? Well, yeah, but I don't mess with those. They're okay. Scary. Well, thanks for calling in. It's an interesting thing he's sharing with us, which is that he carries the aspirins with him. All of you who have migraines, of course, want to carry your medication with you. Sits down, closes his eyes, takes the two aspirins, and sits quietly, watches the pictures, but avoids the pain. That's a, that's a nice procedure you've got going there, sir. Let's take the call. Sure, Michael. Hi, welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Hi. Hi. I also love your show and I'm a big fan. Oh, thanks. Yeah, just love it. And I wish you were on more often. Every <laughs> week could be great. But anyway, I had a quick uh, suggestion for mystery. She's probably heard this, but I had hideous microwave. Uh, microwave. Microwave? You had microwave <laughs> headaches? <Terrible> microwave. <laughs> <laughs> We've heard about those as well. Microwave headaches. Uh, my, migraines. For, and, and I don't trust microwaves either. But anyway, uh, migraines for years, excruciating, horrible, throwing up all that horrible stuff. And I found out I was allergic to aged cheese. Aged cheese? Aged cheese. Okay, you've got to tell us, how did you manage to discover that you were allergic to aged cheese? Well, Please I think tell. I read somewhere that that was a possibility, so I quit eating aged cheese, which I loved and ate all the time, and... After a while. That was the end of your migraines? The end of migraines. I still have headaches once in a while. Yeah, but not not migraines. Not migraines. Now, this is an important piece of information because what she's telling us is that migraine for some people, what's your name? Diane. Migraine for Diane 
was caused by one very specific thing. That's important to note for those of you because everyone who has migraines knows just how debilitating they are. I mean, a migraine, for those of you who've never had one, it can knock you down to the floor, literally. You can be walking and standing, and the next thing you know, you want to be down on the floor on all fours. Correct, Diane? Yeah, I mean, it's like lightning shooting through your head. The pain is awful. As the as the, uh, the other uh, mystery said, you know the, the the stuff is coming out of all orifices. It's awful. And here, here's an example of one thing: aged cheese. She cuts that out of her diet, and the migraines go away. The it, the best thing I found is the organic goat cheese is really great. I have no problems with that. I I wouldn't eat too much of just regular jack cheese because I think they're all aged some. Hey, if I were you, I wouldn't go near a piece of cheese. Why yeah. would I want to take a chance? Thank you so much for calling in. By the way, do you, where are you at with regard to uh, water intake? I, I drink a ton of water. I love water, and I drink too much before going to bed, I realize. And that's why I have to pee all night, but... Um, I love water, and I have good water where I live. So. Okay, thank you very much. You're welcome. That was a great call. I asked her about the water because ad- professional advice persists about drinking what you might call a great deal of water or eight glasses of water a day. And yet, there's a- an absence of scientific support for this. I mean, I myself try to get water down, and I've been trained to try to get water down, and there isn't much harm unless you overhydrate. But there really isn't much um, um, evidence for the need for pumping water in all the time. In fact, there's more evidence that we just sort of naturally gravitate towards the amount of water we need, given that we have water available to us. And by the way, sadly so... Um, there is still a high percentage of people on this planet who do not have clean water available to them. And that's something that's for us to all just sort of take note of and deal with in our own existential and emotional ways. But for the rest of us, water is available. And if science is your guide, it doesn't mean it has to be your guide, and it doesn't mean it has to be your religion. But for some of us it is, one or both. Um, there's no evidence that uh, we need to pump it in. The evidence is that we do take it in. Uh, talking about, uh, about evidence, you know, I was brought up to believe that uh, you go into a dental chair and you get x-rays. Um, there's no evidence indicating that that's a good idea. Um, in fact, the American Dental Association is advising dentists to examine their patients first and only order x-rays if and when they're indicated. That's because they're touching you with the little probe and and they get, either they see something or they get a response. We're being uh, advised to minimize x-rays. Many of you already know this, don't you? Minimize x-rays. There's an accumulation over time and we certainly don't need more pollutants more pollutants than we already have. We have physical pollutants and we have psychological pollutants. Psychological pollutants are what I call the corporate, the corporate pollutants. Stuff that's coming out of us from the corporatization of our health system and the corporatization of our country, which is debilitating to our mental and physical health 
I think that's incontroversial. We have a conflict going on between humanity and business. Let's take this call. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. Good morning. Let me make sure the radio is off. Okay. I'd like to talk about prostate, and I'd like to talk about blood pressure. Briefly, with respect to blood pressure, it is serious, and it can be caused by many different problems that you have, and so it's something that you really need to consult with a physician about. And one of the things to be aware aware of, of is that they will frequently want to put you on statin drugs. If they recommend the statin drugs, try to make a bargain with them and ask if they would let you experiment with lifestyle and diet. And that means exercise, load-bearing exercise, and reducing salt and fat and so forth, and see if you can't deal with it that way. Let me just interrupt and say that uh, the reason that uh, some of the physicians may be uh, recommending statin drugs uh, in response to high blood pressure, as our listener is pointing out, is because if the person who has the high blood pressure has high cholesterol, that's that stuff that collects in in the arteries the wrong kind and and it it and when you have something in a garden hose let's say you get a bunch of dirt in the garden hose so what does it do it decreases the internal size of the garden hose and it makes it harder to get the water through and the same thing that goes on with our blood system so if you have a cloggage it's harder to get the blood through and so then the pressure has to build up in order to um, in order to get the blood through, I'm getting an echo here, Michael. Can you hear it? Um, and so, they recommend these statin drugs to lower the cholesterol. But that's only one reason why um, that's only reason one reason why uh, blood pressure may be going up. There are others. And so the listener is saying, you know, before you get on one of these medications, and there are there's a, some controversy going on now in the statin world. Our listener is correct. I was going to go there. Yes, there is. There's controversy going on about you know in terms of the negative and side effects. Uh, in fact, uh, you know, sometimes the the, the pharmaceutical con- companies push these medicines so powerfully. You think you know it's the second coming of the Lord because the, the drug is so powerful and so wonderful and so. Actually, physicians, uh, many physicians around the country were telling people to go on statin drugs so that they could eat with impunity. In other words, take one of these medications that's going to keep your cholesterol down, and then you can go out and eat steak and bacon and all this greasy stuff all you want because you won't collect. Well, that's not the case. You know, there's no free lunch. And, and so there are problems with the statin drugs. And our listener is absolutely correct. The first line of defense against uh, increased cholesterol is to attempt to modify your diet or don't even attempt to, to actually modify your diet. That means identifying those foods that you're eating that are high in cholesterol and lowering them or reducing them, or if you need to, take the step and eliminating them altogether. And you can, in many, many cases, you can lower your cholesterol significantly and you can get it down to normal by a combination of nutrition with some exercise. It's mostly nutrition. However, there are people who suffer from what's called genetic hyperlipidemia. 
Hyper means up, right? High lipids. And those people have a much more difficult time lowering their cholesterol nutritionally, and they do need to take some form of medication in order to lower it. So this is really good information our listeners bring us. And, you know, it's important, you know, if having energy and taking care of your cardiovascular system is important to you. Well, there's another angle to all of this. With respect to people of the male persuasion, if you're in a committed relationship and you're enjoying one another, uh, the uh, statin drugs can really follow it up for you. So if you can avoid them by making the steps that you need to take to square things away without that medication, I highly recommend it. Again, what what our, what our what our listener is diplomatically telling us here is oh, that you have you, children listening. <laughs> be very thoughtful. About uh, what okay, say. I'll be very careful. Thank you so much for the call. What he's saying is that uh, the, the, particularly the blood pressure medications uh, are famous for uh, uh, creating erectile dysfunction, uh, and so if you can if you can lower your blood blood pressure in a natural way without the medication. Uh, you're ahead of the game, uh, so to speak. Um, now, where were we? Um, let me just take a look here at what I wanted to talk about, and here it is. Um, we talked before about uh, too much Tylenol. And now, what about some of these other medications for pain, like uh, hydrocordone, which is perhaps the number one pain reduction medicine, uh, also OxyContin. It goes under the name of uh, Norco now. Check this out. Think of it this way. Suppose you have a pain in your knee, and it's really severe. We don't have a medicine that you take that then travels to the knee and takes away the pain in the knee. We, you might be able to get a shot, a hypodermic shot in the knee, but other than that, which would be, you know, perhaps once in a while, a shot of lidocaine, what we have are medications that take away pain in the entire body. So in effect, you're anesthetizing your entire system in order to take away pain in the knee. Now, obviously, if the pain is so great... You're gonna, it's worth it to you. You're going to say, okay, I'll anesthetize my entire system in order to get, reduce this pain. But short of the pain being that powerful, you do want to give consideration to whether or not you want to anesthetize your entire psychophysical system. You're, uh, you're, you're anesthetizing yourself physically and psychologically. I mean, there would be akin to, say, having a problem in Nebraska and treating the entire United States. I mean, it would be, you may want to do it if, if Nebraska had something that was so serious that it had the potential to affect the whole United States. But short of that, wouldn't we rather go into Nebraska directly if we possibly could? Well, our system is the, is the same way, and yet we have possibly millions of people who are using these pain medications, particularly the, the hydrocodone and oxycontin. Many of you know it. Many of you have tried them. Many of you have heard about them. In fact, it's an industry unto itself. 
We have people who are scamming medical doctors to get these, uh, these, these uh, Norcos or the hydrocordones, and then they're selling them on the street because the reduction of pain can feel like a high, uh, and if you take them in, in a large enough dose, uh, there is a kind of high that you might call it. They're in the, they're in the, in the category of what's called downtown or downers, you know, the strongest ones are, are heroin and morphine, and then you get down to things like, like you know, Percocet, and, and here we have the hydrocordone. And I'm saying this with this tone of voice, folks, because I consider these, these drugs to be extremely dangerous um, because they, they take away a hunk of life. I think that's why they're the most dangerous, not because they just f- cause constipation, which they do, not because... They cause depression, a black hole of depression, which they do, but because they shrink existence. They shrink existence. And, I mean, I guess that's something that each of us, in our time alone, gets to ask of ourselves and to ourselves. And that is, you know, how much life do we want to have? How much how much do we want to expand our lives and how much do we want to shrink our lives? And so, you know, if you're looking to shrink your life, then certainly the hydrocordones and the oxycontins are the way to go because they will shrink your life just as heroin and morphine will. They will, they will anesthetize, they will decrease your sensibility, they will decrease your consciousness, but they will in a certain way, make life easier. Because I suppose in all fairness, one needs to say that a shrunken life is an easier life. I suppose it's easier to deal with one thing than it is to deal with three things. But it's also a lot less fun, a lot less interesting, and for those who like excitement, a lot less exciting. Sure, let's take that call, Michael. There you go. Welcome to Mind, Body, Health, and Politics. You're on the air. I'm going to have to ask you to speak quickly, please. We're running out of time. Oh, uh, Dr. Miller, Dorothea Dorman calling. I wanted to ask you, what do you um, think we could do to get holistic medicine in the jails and prisons? And uh, can you help with parole problems? Because it's it's a whole secondary uh, level of sentencing on top of the original sentence. And out to people in the prison. Okay, that you know that, that's a great topic, and we probably ought to do a program or two on that topic at some point in the future. You know, uh, Dorothy, we've never figured out what to do with people who break the rules that the rest of us have agreed on throughout all of history. You know, we've tried beating on them, we've tried chaining them up, we've tried putting them in cages, we've tried putting them in caves, we've tried putting them on islands, you've heard of them, Devil's Island, you know that Australia was originally a penal colony, we've tried, you know, that, putting them away. Uh, We're back in the United States to this system that we have of creating cages like zoos and we put them in jails. We just don't know what to do. I mean, that's the bold truth. We do not know what to do with people who break the rules anywhere from a little bit of a rule to a gigantic rule such as murder. 
We don't know what to do. And so we just do things. We just do things. We lock them up. We sentence them. We put bracelets on their, on their legs and let them stay in their house. And we put shackles on their, on, their, on their legs and their hands and we keep them in a cell at the other extreme. We try feeding them right food and we try feeding them no food. We try embarrassing them and we try shaming them and we try educating them. And that's what I can tell you. We just don't know what to do. Well, folks, we do know what to do about certain things, and that's about our consciousness and health. What you're hearing from me today is the importance of just taking a little time for yourself. Take time for yourself. Take time for yourself. I hope you do. I hope you take the time to look within, because so many of the answers to all the questions that we ask are already inside. Thank you for listening to today's broadcast of Mind, Body, Health, and Politics, which is made possible by our KZYX staff and our in-studio engineer, Mike DeLora. Please join me again in exactly two weeks at 9 a.m. California time. Until then, this is Dr. Richard Miller reminding you that good health, it's worth fighting for, and it's essential for life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 